All right, glad you're with us. 800-941-SHAWN if you want to be a part of this extravaganza. Um, Where we are in New York, by the way, has just been put under a tornado warning. Um, You don't get a lot of them up here. We've had them before. Uh, It is, well, last I saw was valid until now. The area is stretching from... Um, for our New York new, uh, audience, uh, from the Yonkers, the Bronx, Nora Shell, Northern Long Island, which would be everywhere from, say, Great Neck, Port Washington, Glen Cove, uh, but the northern part, and uh, doesn't seem to be, be, no reports of any touchdowns, no reports of any funnels, but we'll keep an eye on it. Um, just real quick, when this happens, you, you always got to remember what, what to do and most people don't think about it i remember when i was in huntsville this was this was a regular thing and day and night i would be called in and and dealing with uh you know tornado watch coverage and uh, they had a couple of bad ones we know they recently had bad ones um in nashville and, and elsewhere in the south as we we told you where else was it um linda where were the other areas that got hit pretty hard pretty much along the whole southeast they've been the having, southeast got i whacked. mean it's just terrible what's happening i mean they're just getting they're really getting hurt by this horrible weather and on top of covid it's just it's, no, just it's, a it's been it's been horrible and they're in our know, prayers though we're always thinking of them no i mean and look what can you do not a whole lot to be very honest most important thing you do is you find shelter if you're in a house you go to your basement uh all of this is online we're watching local coverage now as as this comes on but um it just you know you you've got to just take it seriously and you know there's a difference between a watch and a warning a watch is the conditions are right you know many people have risked their lives i like these you know our joe bastardi friends of the world but uh, tornadoes can happen pretty much any time of the year. There are distinct seasons for twisters in different parts of the country. We know that there's Tornado Alley. Um, we cover them all the time as well. Um, there's a general northward shift in tornado season in the U.S., usually from late winter through midsummer, about this period. The peak periods in the southern plains, for example, is during May and early June. On the Gulf Coast, it's it's earlier. Northern plains, upper Midwest in June and July. Uh, but forecasters, when there is a watch, if weather conditions are favorable, thunderstorms capable of producing tornadoes in a region, when watch when watches issued, they cover counties in states where tornadoes may occur, and a warning is when a tornado has actually been sighted. On the ground. This is a watch. It's not a warning. We'll keep an eye on it for people uh, in the area and for anybody at any point. You know, I know a lot of people just aren't big rule followers. I was going to talk about this today to a certain extent. Um, I know that there are some of you out there that are just reflexively, instinctively uh, against any government mandate about shelter in place, stay at home orders, can't cut your grass. I mean, some of it's stupid. Uh, and government can overreach. And, of course, we've got to really watch that that these measures are not um, grandfathered in for the future. I just say, for the most part, what's the big deal if you got to wear a mask? I, look, I choose to wear a mask for other people in New York right now. And the death toll, you know, again, it's another day. Numbers are down. We're on a downward uh, trajectory at this point. And... It's it's like when we open things up, 
if you want to take an abundance of caution, that doesn't mean your, you know, your 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 courage is not measured by the fact that you wear a mask and you're safe. If anything, to me, it says that if you're young and you're healthy and you know not likely to be hurt by the virus, say as other people are with underlying medical conditions and compromised immune systems. You know, what's the big deal? Maybe you're protecting other people. That, to me, is like not being selfish. Um, anyway, let me get on. We got a lot happening. Uh, just for the New York news, as long as we're in it, eight straight net drops in hospitalizations, net drop in intubations. That's nine consecutive days. Uh, finally, the death toll. This had not been the case since April 1st. Now in New York is under, for the whole state, under 500. Now for the second straight day, um, we have, let's see, um, if, if we're, we have now hit the peak, the apex, and then you got the leveling, and now we're seeing the drop, and usually it then results in a more precipitous drop, hopefully at some point. The net decrease in hospitalizations is minus 27, that's the eighth straight day. Net uh, decrease in the intubations, minus 127. That's a lot. That's nine straight days of a net de decrease. Three-day rolling average of COVID-19 hospitalizations uh, is now around 1,300, down from 2,000. Um, and if you look at the different regions, you know, hospitalizations, New York City by far the highest at 64%, Long Island at 21%, Westchester, Rockland, uh, 8%, the rest of the state, 7%. And there is going to be elective outpatient treatment and surgery in low-risk counties and hospitals beginning in the near term. Uh, and and look, everybody's getting up and running and ready and prepared for when they can safely reopen. And the key word, of course, is safely. Um, and I know that for some, this, this is hard. Now, of course, you can't count on your media mob you know, whatever happened to Steve Schmidt? Steve Schmidt is literally now said 40,000 Americans are dead because of the ineptitude of Trump's coronavirus response. You know, I'll be, I guess, the only one to say it. There's never been, if you look at the timeline that we put up yesterday on Hannity.com and you look at what were the Democrats doing when the president put his travel ban in effect, they were impeaching the president. February 24th, Nancy Pelosi... Madam Ice Cream was telling people, come to Chinatown. Come, come. Same thing with a dopey mayor and health officials in New York City. Into March, they were saying these things. Uh, Anthony Fauci is well-respected as he is. And I, I don't think through any fault of his own. You're basing a lot of this on fo phony data that we were given from China. Um, so that threw the world community's response time way, way off, which again then highlights how insightful the president was 10 days after the first case in, um, in the country to put in the China travel ban. That was just smart, but it became, you know, in, in New York, for example, March 2nd, you have governor Cuomo saying, well, we're not like these other places. I don't mean to be an arrogant New Yorker, but we we're ready for this. We can handle this. They weren't ready. And I'm not blaming the governor here. This is not finger pointing. It is a lot wasn't known. But the person that ends up with the best timeline that reacted the fastest uh, ended up being the president himself. Not that you'll, he'll ever get any credit from anybody in the mob. 
They just they're not capable of acknowledging that they were wrong and they did politicize the virus and they did it early. And the dopey New York Times telling people after the travel ban in early February, oh, yeah, who says it's not safe to travel to China? Then you want to talk about politicizing it? Trump virus. If you're feeling awful, you know who to blame. And every other dumb thing that they said. Uh, now they're, they're, there's nothing Donald Trump can do that is right in their minds. You know, there was a Wall Street Journal piece, an op-ed by Robert C. O'Brien, and he talks about the seven fateful coronavirus decisions. Now, I would argue, considering New York thought, New York government, New York City government, state government was saying everything's fine in early March. Now, between then and now, which is now seven weeks, but we've been ready for three weeks. So in four weeks, this president was able to get not only enough ventilators, now we have an overflow of ventilators. He was able to get that up and running. He was able to get all the masks, all the shields, all the gowns, all the respirators in a mobilization, medical mobilization that we had never seen before. And it wasn't the states that got this done. It was the federal government that got that done. Then you get the, the hospitals built at the Javits Center. The, the, you know, the Navy hospital ship comes to, to town. Then, then they have to be converted to COVID-19 hospitals. Not an easy task. Then they didn't have the personnel. The president staffed it for New York. And you have that idiot mayor of New York, de Blasio, you know, what are you? What is it, Mr. President? Are you going to tell New York to drop dead? Uh, if you are left to your own devices, Mayor, how many thousands and thousands of more people would have died? You had no ventilators. You had nothing. The 500 ventilators you inherited from Mike Bloomberg, you auctioned off because you didn't maintain them and you don't even know who you auctioned them off to. You know, and you and it had been recommended that New York City, not the state, by nearly 10,000 ventilators, just like the state. They said peak week, you're going to need 17,000. I'm sorry, 15,783 ventilators. They didn't have them. The president, he assembled the team January 29th, established the White House Coronavirus Task Force. This is now, hang on a second, that's eight days after the first case in the U.S. The first case. By the way, New York's first case was March 1. March 1. That's how quickly this thing ripped through New York State. You know, that's seven weeks ago. That's how quickly it happened. You know, Fauci saying, you know, still low risk for people in the United States on February 29th. He was not say, he was not giving a wrong opinion he was basing it on the information they had, anecdotal and otherwise, and the lies that China was telling. But he did that on the 29th. Then he ordered the, the travel ban that was racist and xenophobic and, of course, hysterical and fear-mongering, um, which happened from Joe Biden, CNN, and the rest of the, the clowns in the mob. Uh, in early March, the president suspended travel even further, uh, and quarantines, by the way, were put in effect not long after the first travel ban. Then we had the additional travel bans. Then the virus began to stretch the public health resources. You know, that's when they began on March 16th, 15 days to slow the spread. March 19th, the president announced the availab uh, uh, availability of rendisivir, 
That that apparently, according to others, we talked at length about it earlier on. We haven't talked about it as much recently for patients in emergency room situations. A lot of anecdotal information about that. Um, hydroxychloroquine, even though you have the foremost expert, Dr. Wallace, 42 years experience, head of rheumatoid arthritis, lupus, everything in the country. You know, not one time in 42 years prescribing hydroxychloroquine. Did anybody ever have to be hospitalized? He said the risk at these doses are nil, but everybody, you know, wanted to bludgeon the president on that, too. Uh, but allowing, for example, the, you know, the right to choose compassionate use up label. Uh, I'm sorry, off label. Th- these are all innovative things. Now, everybody snaps their finger. Where are the ventilators? Uh, OK, you don't get to snap your fingers and things just appear. But they did it. They got the job done. What the what the federal government did will be studied, I'm telling you, for years and years to come. And he gets not only no credit, you have idiots all over the mob. It is a 24-7, you know, CNN on March 4th, oh, worry more about the flu. And all they do is criticize the president without whose help and ability to mobilize, unlike, well, other bureaucratic presidents, save lives, just like the travel ban saved lives. He acted early. He acted energetically. He went all in. He got the job done. And the thanks he gets is never ending attacks. It is it is beyond the sickest point in time in history that I've seen in my life. It really is. And as we roll along, Sean Hannity show 800-941-SEAN. Now the president This should be front and center in 196 days. He is suspending immigration over coronavirus. Number one, he needs to protect U.S. jobs. And he has signed an executive order temporarily suspending immigration. Does it now make sense for all the people that reflexively, instinctively, every two, four years, Republicans are racist, sexist, homophobic, xenophobic, Islamophobic, misogynistic. They want dirty air water and kids to die and granny and grandpa to die. Um, that securing our borders is for a lot of reasons. Number one should be, okay, checking people's, do they have ties to radical groups? Number two should be about the drug trafficking, the 90% of heroin and most of the fentanyl that makes it into this country that kills 300 people a week. Number three should also be health screenings. Number four needs to be another good reason is, okay, do you have the means to take care of yourself financially when you arrive? We can't put that burden on the American taxpayer. And then if you if you then are invited in, then you're part of our family. You pay for your own background check. Um, That is how you do it. Now, we have uh, more updates on reopening the country and doing it safely. More updates on testing that we'll get to in the course of the program today. Kevin McCarthy joins us. Dr. Oz, Roger Stone. We got a busy news day. We'll hit it all straight ahead. All right. 800-941-SEAN. Toll-free telephone number. You want to be a part of this extravaganza. Great timeline. Uh, DeRoy Murdoch put out. Coronavirus timeline. Trump acted early, energetically. Don't buy Democrats' criticisms. Remember, Nancy Pelosi was telling everybody to go to Chinatown. Nancy Pelosi was prepared for nothing. The people of California, frankly... Gavin Newsom, he did a great job for the people of California. You look at what what she was advising people. She was in the middle of impeachment when the president put the travel ban in effect, when the president talked about 
the coronavirus in a State of the Union address. She was too busy, you know, pre-tearing the papers for her temper tantrum that was to follow a pre-planned, you know, made for cameras uh, moment of her ripping up the president's speech. She, you know, tore them one by one by one. And, you know, so they would rip and she wouldn't look stupid trying to rip it, not being able to rip it. Um, That's their timeline. You know, same with New York. Every New York political figure, as it relates to March, we're saying, oh, nothing to worry about. They were prepared for nothing. You know, mayor of New York prepared for nothing. Doesn't even know who he sold his ventilators to. I knew you're going to tell New York to drop that. He built you the biggest hospital in the country and staffed it and even converted it to COVID-19. And he did it in a week, de Blasio. What the hell is wrong with this guy? And the same with, you know, the, the, the comfort that was sent. That was converted to COVID-19. You don't have ventilators. Don't worry. Donald Trump bailed your sorry, pathetic, unprepared hideout. He's going to say drop dead to New York. Unbelievable. And this, this represents, this is now, this is what they do. Oh, the president's trying to open the country too early. He's empowering governors to make decisions on the ground. He's spelled out in specific detail that if you need fall short, we'll try. We will help you. You know, there's, you know, people saying, well, where is the drive up testing? Well, okay, that was 20 iterations ago. Drive up testing. Well, now we have an antibody test. Now we have a five minute test, a six hour test, a 24 hour test, a 48 hour test. We got more testing coming online than ever before. Just like the ventilators are coming off the GM assembly lines that he got up and running. Just like the masks were there, the ventilators were there, the gowns were there. Uh, Was everything perfect? Nope. But uh, New York would have been an unmitigated disaster. But for the president's actions on all of this, and they still politicize pretty much everything that they do. Now, they are working with all the governors and no country is tested more than the United States by far. Millions more. As a matter of fact, when you look at most of these other countries combined, we've done more than all of them combined. They have prepared everything for phase two. They're preparing for all the testing they need. I saw a really cool thing. Uh, Sweet baby James pulled out today. And for big buildings in New York, they can you can walk through a non-invasive entry point into any New York building if they're willing to invest a little bit of money and a non-invasive instantaneous temperature check. Now, that's pretty cool. You can you can open up these. When you open up New York City, I would still stay with 50% of the workplace staying home. Well, you can use that new technology. Uh, maybe the state can go in and buy them. That would not be a bad idea either. So that would help, I think, in, in the long run. Um, so, but the, you cannot... It's sad. It's all predictable, but it's sad. This is just who Democrats are. This is this is what they do. They've done this from the beginning. They have played politics, politicized, weaponized a virus to bludgeon the president. And none of them, every Democrat and every mob media person needs to be asked a single question. In retrospect, was the travel ban the president put in place? Was that travel ban in retrospect the right thing to do? Did it likely prevent thousands and thousands of Americans from contracting the virus? Answer that question. Did it likely prevent many, many Americans from dying? Did it likely prevent this from being exponentially worse? Now, 
A lot of Democrats won't be able to answer that question because they cannot get over their hatred of this president. Now, there were some people out there. I don't particularly buy the herd argument. I read a lot about it, and many have looked to the country of Sweden. They avoided a national coronavirus lockdown. Like, For example, I think that Governor Kristi Noem in her state of South Dakota made a really good decision for South Dakota because obviously you have a large geographic area. Um, you have built-in social distancing. She appealed to South Dakotans to to look out for their neighbors, be responsible, stay distant, take precautions, and the people, by and large, in South Dakota did a great job. They had one outbreak, about 800 people, in a, a pork processing plant, which is sad. It's one of those situations where people are in particular close contact. Um, everybody seems to forget in this argument about staying home. Nancy Pelosi's ice cream chest, the designer ice cream chest in her gated mansion uh, in San Francisco uh, with all the ice cream. Well, the ice cream wouldn't be there if there weren't people producing and manufacturing the ice cream. All these people that kept building the equipment that was needed in New York and New Jersey and Connecticut and other areas where there was a significant outbreak. Yeah, they wouldn't have had any of that equipment if we shut down those manufacturing plants. But people bravely went to work there every day to help protect the people on the front lines fighting this invisible enemy. The reason your store shelves are filled because people kept working. Truckers kept trucking. Farmers kept farming and packers kept packing. I mean, it's unbelievable. Everyone wants everything at the snap of a finger. It doesn't work that way, but we still got it done. In the end, I wouldn't recommend states doing this in the future. I think New York City especially, you better take very big stock of what could have happened here. If your federal government didn't step in and do what you should have been preparing for, Mayor de Blasio, and that is, this is, yep, ground zero. Yep, the first trade center attack was right in your city, Mr. Mayor. The World Trade Center hit and collapsing both buildings, 9-11, that's your city. You are one of the top terror targets in the entire world, never mind the U.S. Now, if you have a pandemic, not that hard to figure out as your, your very office was warned about in New York City that you'd need 10,000 ventilators peak week. You had none. You had zero. The only ventilators in New York City were in the hospitals that they had in stock and ready. Some hospitals did prepare for emergencies. Others did not. So we had, to, we had to start at the basics. And again, you know, the president's the one that was able to organize all of this and make sure every need was taken care of. It, not, it is not an easy lift. And a lot could have gone wrong that didn't go wrong. And a lot went right more than I would have thought could go right. Anyway, there's this company called Brickhouse Security. I haven't tested it. I'm just looking at it. And, you know, those like when you're going through security in any building in New York, how do I explain? Maybe similar to like going into a, a turnstile without the turnstile. This could be really big for opening up Major League Baseball. And this could be important, I think, for the NFL. I want to see the NFL up and running this year wherever possible. Again, I can't make those decisions. Um, I can only say that I think the American people, they would support, I think most Americans, if there's some rules, if they have to go through this device that they have. Linda, did you see this? Pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, it's I think a, all these innovations are amazing. Yeah, it detects you walk through it, detects the body's temperature, no contact, 
and you could do a ton of people at once. You go through, you go through, you go through, you go through, you go through. I mean, it's amazing. Now, they do have facial recognition to identify anyone with an elevated temperature. That part I don't like. You got to maintain medical privacy. Now, if somebody, let's say, shows up hot, you know, you walk over. You don't ask their name. You just pull them aside. Say, listen, you have a high temperature. Here's our recommendations. Go to your doctor. Get tested. Uh, here's what contact tracing means. Here's how to protect yourself if you're going to be around your family until you get your result, hopefully negative. We're not going to be able to let you into the game, but here's what we're going to do. We'll take your tickets. We're going to give you better tickets the next time you come. I guarantee you the NFL would do that, and I guarantee you Major League Baseball would do that. Guaranteed. And they'll, look, they'll pay the money for these things to make it go more quickly, but it was pretty cool. Just like, you know, I look at all the Abbott testing going on uh, as well. Uh, Fauci is on record now saying, yeah, it's possible baseball could be played with fans in the stands. And I think that's true, too. He said, just he said, don't bet on it yet. But he did say, yes, it's possible. He did an interview on Yes Networks with Jack Curry yesterday, reiterating MLB's idea of having a shortened season games played in, you know, maybe a, one or a handful of seasons uh, cities. I don't know if you can do it in indoor stadiums yet, but they're going to have to figure out where and when. You know, again, governors, you're elected to do a job also. You're the chief executive of your state. Get off your ass and do some work. Uh, Georgia, Tennessee announcing their plans to reopen. Beach is now open in Florida. But from the images that I've been seeing, people are still kind of social distancing. I think some people, younger people, were playing volleyball. Maybe not the best idea. Um, but across the... Oh, hang on a second. I'm being given a text here. Why are you texting me in the middle of my show? Uh, let's see. Yeah, I know. I know. Uh, and all of these things are going to depend on, you know, just a short-term acceptance of a new normal. The temperature checks, the masks, the gloves, you know, more teleworking, telemedicine. It's it's going to be ways in the future that we're going to get better health care, better uh, work conditions uh, than we ever thought. I think people are going to realize, hey, this this works. By the way, Tyler Merritt is with us, and he and his group at Nine Line they have uh, been doing a whole big mask project. Uh, how are you, sir? I heard you're going to have millions of them. Yeah, doing pretty good, Sean. It's been a hectic couple of weeks. When California shut down all of their businesses, they shut down uh, our partners at Bella Canvas, the largest U.S made manufacturer of apparel goods the the same shirts that your your products are printed you have the mass for heroes initiative and you're going to donate these protective masks for people in the healthcare industry first responders military community and, and elsewhere yeah we partnered with the leading engineers in aerospace of uh, detroit rco engineering uh, as well as a, a bunch of incredible scientists and doctors from around the country to come up with a usa made N95 variant. Now, we can't say that just yet because we are in the process of applying for uh, accelerated FDA approval, uh, but we're going through the testing. We're going through the, the, the litany of paperwork to get this fast track. Right now, I have the product available, and I'm giving the first thousand away to our first responders, military members, and doctors who are coming to me saying, hey, I will sign indemnity waivers. I understand that my my hospital group won't allow us to purchase this for insurance purposes. I understand that I can't get it to the military members for those same reasons, but the individuals are coming and saying, I need it. I'm going without. So we, we've put uh, an incredible amount of time, money, and effort 
to get these products to people like my mother, who's on the front lines in the Northeast as a nurse, and my father, who is a cancer survivor. And, and it's the first step to get us back to work because people right now, they're still concerned. And, and if this gives them that sense of security and they're willing to go back to work so that we can get on with this, then, then that's what we need to do. And we need to remember that we outsourced our PPE. We outsourced our, uh, essentially, our, our national security to China, to companies like 3M, uh, and, and they're, they're bad actors. You know, they, they control the supply in a time when the demand was skyrocketing, and they took advantage. And, and right now, I can make these products cheaper, faster, better in the United States with our partners. Listen, I think it's great. It's amazing to me to watch this mobilization of people and the creativity of, of the American people. You know, one of the great things about, I think, the new normal and rewriting these books on how to deal with future pandemics, I don't think, Tyler, people are going to be uh, questioning travel bans anymore. I didn't even see a whole lot of criticism of the president, you know, and his executive order, which I mentioned at the top of the show, which is, yeah, for the time being, uh, we are shutting our borders down. Uh, usually we would have the predictable xenophobic racist garbage. Uh, but the innovation of America's entrepreneurial spirit and industry and the ability of GM and Ford and our labs and our pharmaceuticals and big box stores and people like yourself. I mean, it's been unbelievable to watch people change on a dime and do it successfully. Well, it's wartime. Yeah, I know I've, I've been to war a dozen times in different countries, and this is economic warfare. This is biological warfare. I don't care what you want to call it, but we, we need to learn from it. There are incredibly amazing politicians out there, uh, and there's leaders out there like our president that are taking proactive measures with the information he's given at that time. So people like the armchair quarterback, but he is a businessman, and he is trying to protect us. There's uh, others. I'm working with Senator Perdue, you know, another incredible businessman who is leading the fight with trying to get us back to work. And there's just a lot of individuals out there that are either not educated or they're not business people or they're not. They've Listen, never my, been here's my work, advice to people as we begin to open up. Stop, you know, choose. I'm, I'm making a decision personally. I don't care what the law is that for the, the health, safety, security of others that I'll wear the mask. If I'm going to wear it for myself, no, I really am not. That's my honest answer. But I'll wear it because I don't want... I'm, I'm a pretty healthy person. I'm in the best shape of my life. This virus is pretty tough, though, but I think I'd be fine. That's my guess. But I don't no, want to infect other people. Totally fine. I, you, I, don't, I would not want to live with knowing I infected other people. I wouldn't want that. So that's that, why, that, that, you know, we can choose to do it. If you're going to keep distances, choose to do it. I made a choice to make sure that my staffs are distant and have masks. Anyway, you can get all of this. Uh, where can people see what you're doing on Nineline? Yeah, NineLineApparel.com, and then we built a site called Nineline Mass that has all of our research. But uh, but you hit the nail on the head. You and I are both healthy humans. If we didn't care about our loved ones, like my father, who just recently survived cancer, uh, th this would be less of an issue. But you have yeah, to that's why, you know, I said I'd wear it at a football game and I'd wear it at a baseball game. Right, absolutely. All right. Thanks, Tyler. Appreciate it. And glad you're with us. Hour two, Sean Hannity Show, toll free. It is 800-941-SEAN if you want to be a part of the program. All right. Looking to the answers, how we can safely open the country. Different challenges, different states. Some states now are beginning the process of slowly opening and doing it safely. 
I know some governors have gone a little bit too far. New York is going to allow elective outpatient treatment in some areas, which is good. There have been people that have been putting off needed operations, but not emergency operations for quite a while. And uh, so that's the beginning of opening for there. Dr. Fauci saying it, it is possible to maybe open up the baseball season with and with people in the stands, but it's got to be done the right way. It's got to be done safely. And uh, like Dr. Oz has been saying, maybe we try it in areas that are less impacted by the virus. Uh, Dr. Oz joins us now. Um, by the way, we, we keep getting new updates on testing. And I was mentioning earlier in the program, there there's a company that we found that actually produces like if you have a turnstile they take the temperature of people which i think could be used by mlb and and the nfl um and i think the nfl and major league baseball would go all in to make it really easy to get a lot of people's temperatures checked very quickly and and very you know in a way that's not totally inconvenient for people i agree it's a it's an opportunity for our country to figure out better ways of doing what we used to do without thinking much about it. But I think it's also a wake-up call uh, that shows that, you know, the, 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 the things we took for granted, and a lot of this has to do with the general public health infrastructure of the country, are things we could do better. And why not learn from this? I mean, moving beyond COVID-19, which one day we will hopefully be able to do, how about just a basic influenza? I mean, we don't have a lot of vaccines to uh, illnesses that hurt folks that we don't even talk about. We have some vaccines that a lot of times aren't taken even, but some of the basic uh, infrastructure of living in crowded urban areas requires us to be thoughtful about these things. Interestingly, Asian countries have been hurt by it, by this more in the past. So in many ways, they've been more attentive to these issues that uh, could have helped us in this crisis and hopefully will prevent future ones. What do you, how do you feel now about the treatments? For example, I'm reading more and more about remdesivir, you know, I get, it's funny. I got an interesting call from a friend of mine uh, earlier today and said, you know, very cynical friend. One of the reasons people are pushing rendisivir over something like hydroxychloroquine is probably because you can't make money on hydroxychloroquine. Obviously, it's a 65 year old drug and it costs pennies now to make and to sell. And rendisivir, I guess, is is I, I guess still in a stage where financially people may not understand the whole process of. Uh, FDA approval for medicines it takes a long time. You only have a, a window of, of time where you have exclusivity in terms of production. Uh, then the generics come online, and over time, it, it becomes something you don't make any money on, basically. We're all rooting for, to find a solution to COVID-19. I think you don't care where it comes from. If it's an old repurposed drug, I'm with you. You know, hydroxychloroquine is just one of many that are being tried now. There's, uh, there are drugs that are historically used for gout that might be beneficial. There are drugs that are used for reflux that might be beneficial. So there's a lot of uh, folks out there with good ideas with laboratory data showing that they may be beneficial, but we got to sort of move it into people. That's why supporting these randomized trials is wise. We'll figure this out. I just want to do it as quickly as possible. If remdesivir... Uh, is effective. And that works differently, obviously. It's you know, very specifically known to, to inhibit the ability of viruses to replicate and you know, it's designed for another virus, which is why it exists. Uh, then I hope it works, but we need to have the randomized trial. The problem is that you can take data from just looking at what happened to people who were treated, and depending on in biases you can't even identify, skew the data one way or the other, which means you might lose opportunities to treat people or 
think you have opportunities that don't really exist or miss opportunities. And I think all that's part of the equation here. And everyone's desperately trying to collect data. My personal perspective is release all the data you can because that way people can start to look to it and say, hey, you know what, I just noticed something. Hey, maybe it works this way, not that way. But at the same time, we have to you know, be a little poker-faced until we find things that we really know are beneficial. And, and these clinical trials that are ongoing for all the medications that, you know, that, uh, that are, are promising uh, will, sh- will shed light on this. And thankfully, that's one thing we're good at as nations, clinical trials. You know, there's a resistance among some in the country, and, and I think in part, I mean, there are some really stupid rules that have been put in place by some of the states. I, I won't go over the list. Just things that are, are, are not helpful at all. Um, and I, I think that, for example, New York actually came up with a fairly good plan about wearing masks, and that is that if you're not socially distanced, put your mask on. And then there's no order, there's no penalty for somebody that doesn't. Um, you know, I, I understand that there's nobody that's more of a civil libertarian than I am. Nobody that believes in medical privacy more than I do, or our Constitution more than I do. I understand when people do go overboard or states become so restrictive that there is a backlash. I understand the desire of everybody to get back to work. I don't understand why some people don't see the importance for other people, not for yourself, but for other people that you're wearing a mask or you're wearing gloves. It's not about necessarily even yourself as much as it is about not infecting people that would be most vulnerable if they got this thing, which you and I both know if you're vulnerable and this thing gets a hold of you, it ravages you. It's a bad virus, and folks that I trust have called it the most infectious virus they have personally worked with. I mean, smallpox probably worse, but uh, this thing is really bad for being infectious. Now, here's the catch, as you point out, and this is the big push I made uh, this week. Uh, when, the, when the White House Task Force, the CDC, put out the guidelines, the three phases, the part of the equation that a lot of people missed was that the 60% of, of the American public who has pre-existing uh, comorbidities like high blood pressure, or obesity, and hypertension, they're not allowed to leave. Right? They, don't, they don't get to go anywhere. And so for phase one and phase two, they're limited. So there's an opportunity here for people to at least take charge of their own health. I read close to the piece today called vulnerable, so vulnerability to vitality, right? So you're moving from vulnerable to being vital by starting to take control of as many of those risk factors as you can. And I think that's a plea we can all make and say, hey, listen, the most patriotic thing you can do and the most empowering thing you can do while the world's falling apart around you is to make sure that you're doing everything you can for yourself because it's going to allow you to get out there earlier than everybody else. It'll allow you to stay healthy. God forbid you get COVID-19. It seems to improve your survival rate because think about this. 90% of the hospitalized patients have a comorbidity. But can I elevate the discussion a second because people seem to be pushed to one side or the other. Do we open the country? Do we keep the country safe? And I would make the argument that if we open the country and people don't feel safe, it's not going to have an impact, right? People aren't going to go shopping or go to hotels if they feel unsafe. So we want to do both together. You have to have the testing that's been advised by the CDC. We want to show a trend towards improvement, not worsening. So everyone feels, that, hey, listen, you know, it's working for whatever reason, the social distancing, the masks, whether we're going for the first time out to, to our job that's pretty critical to the infrastructure of the country or way down the road, you're going to a ball game. It's got to have the same result. People who are wise looked into it. They figured out this might work. We're going to try our best to make sure it works. We're going to do our part. You know, protesting 
against that or for that. It's not the point. At this point, we really have to agree that that is the goal, because if the country doesn't think it's safe, it doesn't matter what everyone else is saying. What what does it mean to medicine? You know, I've always I've always looked at Texas and, and they had medical tort reform down there. And it has to the doctors that I know down there, including my own niece, um, it has had a great impact on and provides an atmosphere for better care for patients based on Texas law. Um, but you have this intersection now of medicine, which you're an expert at politics I wouldn't call myself an expert, but let's just say 31 years. I do have a little bit of experience with it. But unfortunately, what I see is you've got an intersection with with politics and medicine and it's colliding. And you've got a number of factors in play here. One is you've got the, the politicians now getting their hands in the medical side of things and not an area where they're, they're not even good at their day job. Why they're getting involved in any medical issue is r- ridiculous to me. And then you've got, you know, doctors, I've come to realize you all are pretty freaking competitive. And, you know, one doctor saying this, another saying that, one saying if you say this, then it's that. You know, I mean, it's not good for medicine. It's not good for patients. We ought to be able to have a civil discussion with varying points of view, but it's, it seems to be harder these days. Well, doctors do fight a lot. <laughs> There's a classic line when, uh, you know, we're in academia, and so we're used to being in an environment where people can be pretty blunt with each other. Because usually I'm saying, no, 2 plus 2 is, is 4, and they're saying, no, it's just 4.1, and he's saying 3.9, and we're trying to figure out what is, you know, is my version of 2 really 2? It's su- subtle stuff, but it matters because we're fighting for the truth. As long as people are laser-focused on that, we can tolerate each other's biases. And interestingly, we don't take it personally. Have you heard of M&M Conference or Morbidity Mortality Conference? Mm-hmm. I have. All right. So for the folks listening, lots of you out there who may not have been exposed to this, once a week, all of us sit in a room and... And, y- and yell at each other like talk show hosts. Yes, yeah, I'm kidding. Shows, I'm kidding. Except you're all in the same network in this case. You're actually literally in the same room. And sometimes you don't even like what the other person is trying to tell you. But you have an obligation, a sacred obligation to listen, because if, if people are saying things to you, lives are, are dependent. So we go at each other. You shouldn't have done that. You cut the wrong place. You should not have had surgery. You have the wrong idea. And, but guess what? You learn. It hurts, but you learn. And that is, what, that is the foundation of democratic society, to be able to say your desire and not take it personally. And that's, I think, the, the, what's made medicine such a beautiful career for me and why I love it so much. Yes, it does get politicized sometimes. And in this kind of an environment, I wish it wouldn't, because it's, it's easy for everyone to make mistakes, because there's a lot of, of things happening. And believe me, I spent my entire day looking at inflow of huge amounts of information. Is it good? Is it valid? How do I use it? Does it, does it make me better to know that? Is it wasting my time to understand that? And and if in, 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 my, in my space, in medicine, uh, your major goal is, is making decisions even when you don't have complete data. Because doctors, if, well, you don't need a doctor if you have complete data, right? Because the computer will tell you what to do. We've got to say, you know what, I know that data says that, and this other data says this over here, but you're a little different from that person, a little different from that study. So I think your best course is this. And guess what? I tried it in a patient two weeks ago, and it worked. So I'm going to try it again. And then I'll educate myself, and I'll get better by doing it. And I'll share my experience with somebody else. That's how medicine iterates. And I think we don't want that perverted because that's re- that culture is really hard to build. Let me ask this, too, because I think this is really important going forward. How do you see if we really want to open the country and we want to open it safely, we want life back to normal. Um, 
Listen, I, nothing would make me happier than to go to a Yankee game with you and a Jets or Giants game with you, or what, or I'd, I'll fly to Dallas and go see the Cowboys even, anything at this point. Um, but how do we do it? How do we get life back to normal? How do we do it safely? What is it going to take for people temporarily to make life as normal as possible and safe at the same time? I think we're going to have to trust each other to do exactly what we're being asked to do by uh, the folks, that are state leaders, health leaders, and the federal government, which is cover up as much as you can, social distance, which is you know, on our system here because you're not going to be able to police it. We're going to have to make it easier for folks to get to work. You know, there's some big concerns appropriately about public transportation. We're going to have to help folks get to work safely. Then once they're there, they're going to have to be super delicate. And we've got to prove to each other and to the healthcare professionals who are trying to do, you know, do this with us, that we can actually keep the number of people who get hospitalized and get really sick from COVID-19 down and keep it going down further by doing these things. As long as that works, and that was to me the most important insight of the whole guidelines, as long as we're heading in the right direction, then we open it up a little further, go a little further. I mean, different states will do it in their own different way. But that data is essential because that answers all your questions. Because guess what? Who doesn't want to go back to work after being you know, isolated this long? Who doesn't want to be able to go out and enjoy time with their friends or you know, fulfill their life's dream? But none of us are going to want to do it if our families are at risk. I think these are all good points. I, I think it's more doable, and I think people will be more cooperative than peop, than others think. I think when you explain it in a way that says, look, I can't stop you. You're going to do what you want to do, but could you do it for other people and, you know, just appeal to people? And, and I, I think it's possible. I agree with you on public transportation. I think that's a really, really big challenge in a city like New York. Uh, Dr. Oz, you've been a rock star. We appreciate everything you're doing. Thank you. Um, 800-941-SEAN, toll-free uh, telephone number. House Republican leader Kevin McCarthy wrote a letter to Speaker Pelosi. He'll tell us about it next. Roger Stone coming up. And Roger Stone should absolutely never spend a day in jail. And I'm going to tell you why. Like many of you, I suffer from insomnia. Although, you know, when I do fall asleep now, which is rare, uh, thanks to my pillow and all the my pillow products I love, I'm just sleeping harder. I mean, it's uh, it's very very in, you know hard time I guess for everybody, and it weighs on you even more than you think at times. All right, as we roll along, eight hundred nine four one Sean, if you want to be a part of the program, you know you always see the worst in people, right? How often have we talked about that? So Acacio Cortez, the you know champion of the new green deal, no oil, no gas, no cows, no planes, no nothing. Uh, deleted a message in which she appeared to actually cheer the historic drop in oil prices uh, as an opportunity to get rid of oil and gas. It is the lifeblood of our planet, of our of our economies, the world economy, and it's an opportunity to invest in green infrastructure. You know, like what, Solyndra? Yeah, here is where the level of ignorance is. Now, I know we all want lower oil prices, right? All of us. Here's the problem. At some point, nobody gets to keep their job because no oil company can produce oil at the prices that they are talking about. And that's it. All right. When we come back, we have Kevin McCarthy, the House Republican leader. Also, Roger Stone, why he should not at all be going to jail along with others because corruption that has been exposed. All right, 25 till the top of the hour, 800-941-SEAN. You want to be a part of the program. I have right here in my hands, Madam Speaker, it's time for Congress to get back to work. 
And this is from Kevin McCarthy writing to the speaker designer ice cream February 24th. Come to Chinatown, Pelosi, the one that was impeaching the president when the president was putting the travel ban in effect. Uh, the person that was pre-ripping for her temper tantrum planned post State of the Union while the president was talking about COVID-19. She was pre-planning and pre-ripping her papers for her big temper tantrum on TV, planned out, of course. I'm writing to request request that we work to establish a clear, safe, effective plan for reopening Congress. Now the speaker sits in her gated mansion on a regular basis and showing off her designer ice cream uh, in her fancy ice box. Now, I have offered out of the goodness of my heart because Nancy Pelosi, the president's at work every day. Kevin McCarthy's been at work every day. Mitch McConnell's been at work every day. Uh, all these members of Congress, by the way, Kevin McCarthy flies commercial all the way back to California uh, every single week. And he doesn't have Nancy Pelosi's access to her private jet and her carbon emissions on top of all of that. And she sits there. She's been the single most destructive force as speaker in history. And frankly, one of the dumbest people I've ever seen in Washington. She can't for five seconds, even during a national emergency, put aside her rage and her hatred of the president to for the good of the country. Now, Gavin Newsom did. You know, I, I have my disagreements with Gavin Newsom, but he did a pretty good job for the people of California. I will say that. And I give him a lot of credit. He worked with the president, was willing to speak the truth. And the truth was this president delivered big time for all these states all the ventilators, all the respirators, all the gloves, the gowns, the shields, you name it, and the hydroxychloroquine. Yeah, that all came from Donald Trump. All the hospitals, all the Navy ships, yeah, they were built and sent by Donald Trump. Uh, in the case of New York, they were even, all the personnel was put in there, and they were converted to COVID-19, which is not, a, is not an easy task because you got to change the ventilation. Anyway, uh, the only people, now remember, we're happy that, we go into our local grocery store and that there's food. You can thank the guys that in the store that are putting, you know, groceries uh, on the shelves every day. And I, and I see these guys, I tell them every time I go into the store, guys, please be safe. Be careful. Take, you know, take extra precautions. I say this to all these guys. I actually tried to give a tip one day to a guy in my local place. And it was like 20 bucks. And I, they, the guy refused the tip. I'm like, no, no, no. So I just dropped it. And then his manager came <laughs> running over. He's not allowed to take it. I'm like, guys, you know, I just wanted to say thank you. And I thought I was going to get arrested for trying to tip the guy. But they're on the front lines making sure that everything's full. Our farmers are farming. Our packers are packing. Our truck drivers are truck driving. And they're getting everything delivered. You know, but Congress, you know, they're, they're sitting on their ass doing nothing. And why doesn't she get back to Washington? The president's there every day doing two, three-hour press conferences every day to update the nation so the mob and the media can, can attack him every second of the day. But they are being watched in record numbers, and I know because I see ratings. I used to be number one in cable until Donald Trump began his press conferences. Um, Linda was making fun of it today. Uh, but it's important. We're in the middle of a national emergency, a pandemic. People need information. The president's there every day giving information. Anyway, Kevin McCarthy has been there most of the time with him, although flying back to California to be with his family and to be with uh, his constituents when possible, 
Uh, he joins us now, and you talk about the business of, of Washington. What, she's scheduled to come back in May? How long has come she been away? May. Jeez. Well, well, what a gig this time. is. But you know what else she has done, though? She has used the American workers as pawns during this pandemic. Remember during the CARES Act, when we had a full agreement, she holds it up to get more money for the arts, more money for the Kennedy Center. And how many thousands of people got laid off? Now we have a small business program that's been so effective. In 14 days, they have moved as much money that the SBA has actually produced in 14 years, in 14 days, to keep people hired, to keep that small business afloat while they're shut down. And you know what Nancy Pelosi did when they ran out of money because they were effective? She stopped it. She's just creating roadblocks instead of replenishing that money. And then she thinks you shouldn't come back to, to Washington. And well, her behavior, look, go back to the first yeah. bill. We had American workers, they had to wait at least another week plus uh, because of her demands, which were, let's see, uh, $75 million for the National Endowment for the Arts, $75 million National Endowment for Humanities, you know, $25 million for the Kennedy Center for the Performing Arts that then took the money and fired all their employees. I mean, it's just outrageous. And now, you know, we're trying to refill the, the money for small businesses and loans that are going to be available and grants that are being available. These people desperately need it. And I'm, by the way, I'm, I'm, I am saying that we should pass no more bills that are any bill that has anything non-COVID-19 related should not be in there. Republicans have got to hold the line. We can't be wasting money when we don't have it. And, you know, that's what we've done on this bill. What she did in that bill that you just talked about before, the CARES Act for the American public, she held it up because she cared about Green New Deal. She cared about changing election law. She wanted to become more powerful about sanctuary cities. And listen, it falls all the way down into her own members. Congresswoman Jai Paul, she's upset that we're going to pass this bill to help small businesses because she wants Democrats to hold out longer to get more leverage. AOC says she loves to see it happen. All these thousands of people who are losing their jobs in the energy industry. That's what she's doing. And then her number three, the most powerful whip that you have in Congress, the majority whip right now, Clyburn, he thinks the coronavirus gives them the opportunity to restructure government into their liberal view. And she wants to put some some oversight committee and put him in charge to be able to restructure government. Now we're learning this, that if we come back and vote on this, she wants to run through a rules change in the House. Hasn't been done in more than 200 years to put proxy voting in to give her more power. They want to change election laws. They want to change immigration laws. They want to they want to use this. How could you be happy? These are high-paying career jobs in the energy industry. Now, I can never figure out, Linda, how many times over the years have I said, I cannot figure out how to invest in natural gas, oil, in the energy industry. I, I just don't know it. I've, I've asked, you know, the former, uh, uh, what's his name, Hoffmeister, former head of uh, and CEO Shell of Shell Oil. oil. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I've asked him so many times because I want our oil industry doing well, but when you can't, when, when the prices are that low that you you got to shut down business, people lose jobs in those environments. It's the lifeblood of the world's economy, Congressman. It's more than just jobs. It keeps our world safe. You look at geopolitical. It's fundamentally different what Iran tries to do in the world when we're energy independent. What Saudi Arabia and Russia did 
And when they did it, it is a perfect storm with the economy moving down because of this virus of China lying to the world, that we watched oil go to a negative number. And AOC, who's probably the most known Democrat in the country, she tweets, you absolutely love to see this. Americans losing their job. This is the leader and the thought person inside their conference. And why? Because the head of their whole party, Nancy Pelosi, says the same thing as long with the number three. That is what's harming America. And Thursday, we'll get the new report for those who are unemployed for the last week. That is the Nancy Pelosi unemployment because she has driven this by holding this bill up where it was already working, no policy changes, just requesting more money for that and requested more money for hospitals, and she held it up. Unbelievable. So are we there? Are we done? Is it going to, you know, are we going to get that part of this done? We've got, we've got an agreement. It's supposed to pass the Senate today, probably sometime after five. The House will take a vote on it. She's going to try to use this opportunity to change rules in the House, to put in proxy voting, um, which is unbelievable. Why would you ever, over 200 years, not work bipartisan how to deal with this? We have states, even Cuomo saying he's planning for how to open. I have sent a letter. I want him to be, establish a clear, safe, effective plan to reopen Congress. You can open some committees. You can do it in a manner that is safe. I want to make sure it's safe. But wouldn't you think Congress would be essential? I've watched from the Civil War on where Congress continued to meet. We should know what we're doing. These committees, we have the National Defense Authorization Act for our men and women in the military. That committee could be back here meeting in a big room so they got distancing, that we're not hurt by that. Shouldn't the Oversight Committee, shouldn't they be looking at the World Health Organization? What did they do on harming the rest of the world and whether money should be going there? There's so many committees and so much responsibility that we can do it healthy, but she wants to pull back, change rules that make her more powerful, that hopefully she can try to what she wants to do, and we have stopped it all along the way, try to do Green New Deal, try to deal something with Planned Parenthood and jam through election law changes. I mean, that's in essence what she's trying to do with election law changes. She's trying to imp- implement those into Congress right now. That, And it's worse than you think, because every constituent in the country loans their voice to somebody for two years. They didn't loan it to Nancy Pelosi. They can't hold her accountable. They can only do that by changing the House. Well, we got an election in 196 days, and I know, rightly so, the country's not focused on, on this now, but now the president also has an executive order saying, hey, we're closing the borders. Until we get past this, number one, to protect American jobs, but it does raise the importance of, for example, all these states that want to give, in your state, I guess Gavin Newsom wants to give every illegal immigrant 500 bucks. Uh, we have sanctuary state. Your state is a sanctuary state, sanctuary cities like San Francisco, New York City, et cetera. Uh, they, they literally have free health care for illegal immigrants. I can think of four quick reasons why we need to secure our borders. Number one, we need to know and, and check, do background checks that people don't have ties to extremist organizations. Number two, our southern border, 90 percent of the heroin and a lot of the fentanyl in this country that's killing 300 Americans a week crosses that border. Uh, that's reason number two. Reason number three, uh, I think health concerns now should be in the forefront. And I think a, a health check for people that want to enter the country is fair game. Just out of an abundance of caution for American citizens that are opening their doors and their hearts. 
Number four, I would say people have to show we can't afford it, that you have the means of taking care of yourself if you get in here. And then welcome to our family. But those conditions have to exist. Those are conditions that existed at the creation of this country when people came here. And we, we want people to be able, able to immigrate here, immigrate here in an honest way and through our laws, in a legal way. But what the president is doing is what's dealing with the COVID crisis he had right now. Just like when January 31st, when the, wealth, the World Health Organization said this wasn't being transferred human to human, that he was able to stop the Chinese from coming to America. Think of the number of lives that would have died had he not taken that action. But if you listen to the Democrats, they attacked him for it. They attacked him. And almost a month later, on February 24th, you mentioned earlier, Nancy Pelosi is down in Chinatown asking everybody to come together. While this president is trying to keep us safe in a healthy way, that's why he's looking at the borders and shutting them down. Because as we get past this, we don't want somebody else from the other countries at that time to come into America and make us sick again. We've got to be able, just as Democrats and and Republicans talk about tracing, it's the same difference on the border. Very, very challenging time. So have you heard from the speaker? Have you heard from any Democrats? Are there any Democrats that want to join with Republicans at this point, understanding that what they are doing by by trying to, you know, damage these bills and muddy up these bills with things non-COVID-19 related are are hurting people, workers, hospital workers, out of work workers, uh, industries, small businesses that need help? The only way we're able to get this agreement with Nancy holding it up for more than two weeks, because we knew it ahead of time. That's why we started asking. Democrats came up and objected. Her own Democrats started going out against her publicly, that they wanted to help the small business. They wanted to lend the small business money, even provide them grants to, uh, to keep those individuals working. They may not be at the shop, but pay them. Let them get through the next two months as we get through this pandemic and that we're able to come out of it in a safe manner, maybe it's in phases, but those small businesses are so critical to us. We are already able to do more than 30 million jobs saved, but how many did Nancy Pelosi just get laid off in the last week by holding it up? We'll soon learn on Thursday. Why we're voting for this, the numbers will come out and that will be on the Democrats for holding it up for no other reason but to play politics. If ice cream, designer ice cream and our free, special freezer um, is holding her in our, you know, gated community mansion, uh, she can get on her private jet with all the carbon emissions. And if she wants, you can make the offer. I'm willing to pay for, you know, a week's supply of uh, designer ice cream in a freezer if that will bring her back to work. How's that? I'll be very kind about it. <laughs> It would be very helpful. And I don't know. I don't know if that, that was when she was in San Francisco or her vineyard out in Napa. Um, but the one thing I do know... Come to Chinatown, February 24th. She's a genius. Yeah. Um, all right, Kevin, thank you. Kevin McCarthy is the House Republican leader. How do people get in touch with you guys if they want? Well, if you go to Twitter, uh, GOP leader is a great place to go. And um, we need everybody's help out there to really get the message out. Let's keep us safe. But let's we need to change again. the House in ni- 196 days. We need... To, yeah. We need new leadership. They need to take the house. If they go to takethehouse.com, that's the best way that they can get that basis to help. All right, Kevin McCarthy, thank you. When we come back, uh, Roger Stone, quick break. Right back, we'll continue. Hi, right, News Roundup Information Overload Hour, Sean Hannity Show, 800 941. Sean, you want to be a part of this extravaganza. Now, 
We have not been spending the time following up on, although I have built my own dossier of very big, important news developments as it relates to the deep state. Everything that the mob and the media got wrong there, Russia, 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 Trump, Russia, collusion, 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 Ukraine, Ukraine, impeach, impeach, impeach. Everything they said, well, we had four investigations culminating with the Mueller report. And guess what? There was no Trump-Russia collusion. Not only did we have premeditated fraud on a FISA court, as I have been telling you in our ensemble cast, and nearly for three years, we got every single thing right. They got it wrong. The mob and the media, our timeline on them, on coronavirus, is, it is, it is repulsive that they would ever think of criticizing anybody. Fake news, CNN, March 4th, they're telling people, worry more about the flu. You know, politicians, well, MSDNC, they're just, they're off in another ozone layer. They're just gone. Um, but they were wrong. And they lied, and they bludgeoned, and they smeared, and they slandered, and they, they advanced conspiracy theories and hoaxes, all disproven. In this psychotic rage against Donald Trump and anybody that likes Donald Trump. And this is who they are. This defines who they are. Um, they never take responsibility. They never make uh, corrections. We saw this with the New York Times. You know, they, they say, oh, well, this guy listened to Hannity and he went on a cruise. And, but Hannity had said this in early March. Yeah, uh, what they were quoting me saying was nine days after the guy went on the cruise. But the author of the article, well, ends up saying uh, just days before the cruise, uh, I don't see what the big deal about the virus is. Mm -hmm. That's called slander, libel. And But this is who they are. We have now learned that they knew and they knew early that the not only was the Clinton bought and paid for dirty Russian dossier, unverifiable and now we know debunked but they also know and knew early on that in fact it was the russian government that was feeding this misinformation to the christopher Steele, and that they knew christopher Steele was working and putting this together for hillary clinton remember the multiple warnings in fact that were given by people, even Bruce Orr and Kathleen Kavlak at the State Department, that, yeah, Steele has an agenda. Don't trust him. It's a political agenda. Yeah, Hillary paid for it. Remember, they hit all this from the FISA court and their applications, all four of them. But they knew from the beginning, and it didn't stop them. That's what premeditated fraud on the FISA court. It turns out that the Russians were feeding a lot of anti-Trump stuff to Hillary's campaign, in other words. Even the New York Times, finally, late in the game, got it right. It was likely the dossier Russian disinformation from the get-go. But they kept this investigation going, knowing that there was no legitimate reason for it. They abused their power. It's the biggest abuse of power corruption scandal in history. Now we have since learned other things. We learned that not only did Papadopoulos you know, say exculpatory things. Nobody's working with Russia. What are you talking about? But they lied about him and they persecuted him. Just like the same with General Flynn and the information we've been sharing about him. Just like we now know, remember the, the raid of Roger Stone's house for a process crime, lying to Congress. By the way, 
Very similar things in the inspector general's report. Many referrals about guys like Comey and McCabe and others lying to Congress. Process crimes. None of them have been charged. We can't have a dual justice system. We need equal justice under the law, equal application of our laws, or else we don't have a constitution. And so Roger Stone is, what, 29 men in tactical gear, pre-dawn raid, frogmen, fake news CNN cameras capturing all of it. Wonder where they got that information from. They just happened to be there at 6 a.m., 5 a.m., whatever it was. And then we find out in the Stone case that the jury foreperson had posted on social media prior, and they have jury selection, didn't acknowledge this truth that she hates Roger Stone and hates the president. And then the judge in the case, instead of doing the right thing, because last time I read, maybe I'm wrong, that we are supposed to have uh, 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 impartial juries and free and fair trials for American citizens. We have a right to an impartial jury. Not in the Stone case, and the judge very proudly said, no, you don't get another case. This is a grave injustice. President weighed in on it recently. Here's what he said. And it's my strong opinion that the forewoman of the jury, the woman who was in charge of the jury, is totally tainted. When you take a look, how can you have a person like this? She was a anti-Trump activist. Now, how can you have a jury pool tainted so badly? It's not fair. What happened to him is unbelievable. They say he lied. But other people lied, too. Just to mention, Comey lied. McCabe lied. Lisa Page lied. Her lover, Struck, Peter Struck, lied. Roger Stone joins us now. This should not happen in this country, Roger Stone. I'm very sorry for you. Sorry for uh, Papadopoulos. I'm sorry for General Flynn. This is how we, we treat 33-year veterans. And frankly, there wouldn't even be a Paul Manafort investigation but for all of this, regardless of what he may or may not have done on his taxes. Even Michael Cohen, who I'm not particularly fond of having not told the truth about me being his client. But anyway, uh, now you face jail, and you're worried this is a death sentence. Yeah, Sean, I think most Americans understand uh, the decision to prosecute me was made long after they knew there was no Russian collusion. Uh, it is alleged that I lied to Congress about the Trump campaign's interest in the WikiLeaks disclosures, which was a matter of public record discussed 142 times by candidate Trump himself in September and October. It doesn't even make sense. Uh, there was no underlying crime for me to lie about, but for an entire year, the fake news media, the CNN, MSNBC, the New York Times, the Washington Post, Roger Stone will be prosecuted for treason, for espionage, for trafficking in stolen emails, for colluding with the Russians on behalf of Donald Trump. There was never any such evidence. I wasn't charged with any of those things. The best Andrew Weissman could come up with was this contrived charge of lying to Congress about things that were a matter of public record. Uh, and I can tell you now that no Trump supporter or Republican can get a fair trial in the District of Columbia. My jury included not a single Republican, not a single Trump supporter, not a single military veteran, not a single uh, uh, high school educated blue collar worker, not a single union member. 
it, it was a it was a jury of liberal elitists and Trump haters. Uh, and uh, I, I listening to the the experts like Jonathan Turley, uh, Andrew Napolitano, uh, uh, Alan Dershowitz. I'm entitled to a jury of impartial and indifferent jurors. This lead juror attacked the president, called him a Klansman, said all of his uh, supporters were racists. That would include you and I, Sean. Uh, she attacked me on the day I was arrested. She attacked me uh, publicly. when I pled not guilty. Publicly. Uh, on Twitter and Facebook. Yet in jury selection, she said she didn't know who I was. So at a minimum, I should be entitled to a new trial. A minimum. Uh, but but the by the way, she tried. should be tried. She should be brought up on charges for lying on a jury form. No question about that. But look, here's what was really going on. On July 24th of 2019, the Mueller team offered me a quote unquote deal. If I would mischaracterize 36 individual telephone calls with candidate Donald Trump that took place in 2016, we could work out my charges. If, if you'll just tell the truth, Mr. Stone, come clean and stop lying. Admit this was all about Russian collusion and colluding with the Russians. And I refused. And I knew when I refused that I was doing so at great peril. These people have destroyed me financially. I can't earn a living speaking or writing because I've been gagged. I've lost my savings. I've lost my home. I've lost my insurance. I've lost my car. But I haven't lost my faith in God, and I haven't lost by the support of my family. Uh, and I still believe in the American system, and I still believe justice will be done, but I will not give up fighting. And if I have to appeal, I will appeal. You're supposed to report to jail when? Next Thursday. So here's another example of the of the two-tier justice system. Yes, Comey, Brennan, Clapper, et al., Hillary, they all lied to Congress on consequential matters. None of them were charged. But now you see Michael Avenatti, the would-be presidential candidate, Michael Cohn, this afternoon, Rick Gates, the judge in my case, uh, uh, zeroed out his uh, time in incarceration on the weekends, doesn't have to serve, at the same time that they are seeking to incarcerate me. Sean, I'm 67 years old. I'm in pretty good health, but I had some underlying respiratory problems as a child. I have some damage to my lungs. I think I'm a sitting duck for coronavirus. Uh, I, this is a vengeful, vengeful situation. I'm, I think, being punished because I supported Donald Trump and I believed in him for a long time. I'm being punished because I wrote the Clinton's War on Women, which we launched on your radio show which was an extraordinarily successful uh, and accurate book about the epic corruption of Bill and Hillary Clinton. The chief prosecutor in my case was Jeannie Ray, Bill Clinton, uh, pardon me, Hillary Clinton's personal attorney and the attorney for the Clinton Foundation. The, the prosecutor on the Mueller team who prosecuted me, Aaron Zelensky, was deputy counsel to Hillary Clinton at the State Department. These are not career line prosecutors as the mainstream media tries to mislead you into believing this was a vendetta because i have long believed that donald trump had what it took to be not only a great presidential candidate but a great president and he I think he's proven i think we've both been proven right and a conservative which a lot of people doubted at the time and you and i knew better um because we knew him for such a long period the, of time you know look i just want to say something I, I know i'm speaking for my audience here roger and by the way, you were a pain in my neck a couple of times. You know, you once said Hannity's lobbying to be 
chief of staff, which was not true. But I'll put that aside. I actually never, I actually never said that. But if you hear me out, I would explain it. But I no, it's okay. listen. You've you know what? Good. Here's what I do want to say to you. You've been very good to me. Let me tell you something, Roger. This should not happen to any American. What they've done to you. This is not the the great United States of America, the great constitutional republic. People need to hear this and understand that if it can happen to Roger Stone and General Flynn and Papadopoulos and and everybody else and others that are are far more guilty of the same so-called process crimes get off scot-free every time, we don't have a country. We don't have a constitution, Roger. I don't care if they like you or don't like you, like me or don't like me, like Trump, don't like Trump. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because justice should be blind, equal process, equal application of our laws is critical. Stay right there. Roger Stone with us. And and I'm praying, you know, I, I, I don't know what the president's thoughts are on this, that I, I hope there's justice to to remedy the great injustices here. Every liberal ought to be asking themselves, wow, what if this happened to a liberal friend of mine and it was done by conservative prosecutors and a conservative judge? Think about that. All right, we continue. Roger Stone is with us. Well, he's supposed to report to jail next Thursday. Um, We now know the jury foreperson had a bias specifically against him, posting, she posted things publicly against him. I guess she didn't say that on the jury questionnaire, did she? I can't comment on that because it's sealed. Okay. Well, you know, the judge in your case didn't have any problem un- problems unsealing my private text messages, Roger, in case you don't know that. Uh, it, I'm compared to your problems and nothing. How does, uh, how do you go about this appeal? Because, you know, I couldn't even talk to you. You had a gag order the whole freaking time that you couldn't even defend yourself, which is another violation of your constitutional rights. Well, from the beginning, I was um, prohibited um, when the government's motions were granted. I couldn't raise the question of selective prosecution. I was prohibited. I still don't believe there's any evidence that the Russians hacked the DNC other than the draft redacted CrowdStrike report. But I was not allowed, and therefore, there, the first four pages of my indictment, which alleged that that happened, and all of my lies are related to it. They wouldn't let you bring happened, it up. But I was not. Yeah. Would not allow. Wouldn't allow us to to bring it up or to prove otherwise. Uh, and in the government took so much bad heat over admitting that they had relied on the CrowdStrike report that they filed an additional sir reply with the court, insisting that they had additional proof. But it was classified and they couldn't show it to us, which to me is a fraud upon the court. I only have I about 30 seconds left. I want to I want everybody to know you don't have any money, do you? No, God, they've destroyed me. I'm I'm indigent, literally indigent. And if people want to help you, which I, you know, I would like to help you. Um, and I haven't been able to for a lot of reasons that, you know, how do they do it? The best thing to do right now is to go to stonedefensefund.com. I've got to pay these lawyers to try to uh, avoid dying in prison. Uh, And I wiped out my, I raised $2 million from great Americans and Trump supporters, which I spent on my trial. Say it again. Uh, What's the website? The the cupboards are bare. Stonedefensefund.com. And if you want to sign a petition, go to freerogerstone.com, a petition to the president. We'll continue. 
All right, 25 till the top of the hour, 800-941-SEAN. You want to be a part of this uh, extravaganza. Um, You know, you look at everything that was done by the federal government, and it is pretty amazing. It really is an incredible medical mobilization that um, the president was able to get done. The Army Corps of Engineers executed 32 facilities around the country, 15,800 beds. They they had all the personnel, the largest bed, uh, hospital bed area built in the country, 3,000 beds at the Javits Center in New York. That was manned by the federal government. New York did not contribute at all. All the ventilators New York got, short of what hospitals in New York had, they all came from the federal government, and anyone that needed a ventilator got one. And they had many left over. The But 15,800 bed capacity in about a month's period of time built around the country. We are now doubling the tests. We're near 5 million tests now. Over 30 million new swabs have been produced, will be produced in the coming weeks. Uh, 17 million lancets for the, the finger prick, prick tests that have been going out there. That's, that's all coming out. Um, we have now, again, nearly 5 million Americans already tested. Then we have on top of that, then we have the, the antibody test. They are getting all the collections. We have the six, uh, five-minute test, six-hour test, 24-hour test, too, on top of that. You know, getting the agents is a lot more complicated than some of these people think, but it's getting done as well. They are increasing by the Defense Production Act, the testing swab production, and getting the agents to make sure the test is working. Uh, 100,000 ventilators procured by the federal government. Honeywell's hiring a thousand plus workers to produce 20 million more N95 masks a month. FEMA is now working to obtain 384 million to order 64 million gowns and and everything else for healthcare workers. Um, pretty amazing mobilization in a month. But you wouldn't know it if you watched anybody else in the media or watch. I, I mean, to watch these press conferences and the hostility, the hatred, the rage. You know, we're talking about FEMA has spent $5.7 billion just in COVID-19 efforts. Health and Human Services, FEMA, private sector have coordinated the delivery of now 60 million N95 respirators with all these others in the hopper to be built monthly. 85 million surgical masks, 6.4 million face shields, 12.3 million surgical gowns, 638 million sets of gloves, 10,998 new ventilators, you know, out there and created and that the assembly lines are now working. Pretty incredible. But you never know if you watched anything in the mob, in the media. I mean, to the extent that they have politicized all of this, we were right from the beginning you said it's a hoax. No, we never said it was a hoax. I said they're politicizing a virus to use this as their latest host, uh, as their latest hoax to bludgeon the president. Very different when you say it the way I said it. And, you know, by saying to people in, you know, Dr. Fauci, January 27th on TV, our panel of doctors, the 28th of January, Dr. Fauci back February 10th, talking about asymptomatic people, 
uh, no symptoms, walking around, infecting so many others. I was the one of the first people that I know of in the media to say, oh, that's a problem. Big time. You watch, you know, the likes of Nancy Pelosi come to Chinatown February 24th. You know, Comrade de Blasio, the mayor, mayor, governor of New York. And I'm not even that critical of them because some people, you know, there was we weren't being told the truth. But they were saying, oh, we can handle this and we're prepared. And they were not. In any way, shape, manner, or form. They weren't ready at all. Um, by the way, <laughs> that's funny. I'm not going to say it on air. Um, Why? Go ahead. So you say it on air, whatever you're going to say. Why would you I'm not want to say that on air? That's a thing of beauty yet again. Uh, whether I should sue the New York Times, you put up a poll. Yes. Unbeknownst to me. Thank yes. you very much. And would you like to know the results? Uh, you just sent them to me. I already know the results. What is it? So go ahead and tell everybody. Oh, my gosh. I got to pull it up here. Okay. Thank you for voting. 96.15%. Yes. 3.85%. No. So that's basically like the 12 writers at the New York Times that voted no. And then well, the rest of the world stay voted tuned. Yes. I Listen, no, uh, no final decision, let's put it this way, has been made. But let's just say that there's been a lot of conference calls lately. A lot. Uh, we have now 70 some odd percent of people now support the... Temporary immigration ban of the president. I didn't hear anybody. Has anyone called it racist yet? It's going to happen. It's just a matter of when. Uh, Missouri is the first state to sue China for coronavirus damages. You can thank the likes of Ben Crenshaw and and Tom Cotton for that. Uh, the White House is monitoring. We you know apparently Kim Jong Un. His health is in grave danger, according to varying reports that have been out there. He's not been seen publicly in more than a week. Apparently, notably, skipped the April 15th birthday celebration of his late grandfather, uh, Kim Jong-sung. His father is Kim Jong-il. Uh, Robert O'Brien, the president's national security advisor, confirmed that the White House is monitoring reports on the health of Korean dictator Kim Jong-un. Uh, and they're keeping a close eye on it, as they should. I gave you the statistics earlier. The trend lines keep going down dramatically in New York, thankfully. Not down enough yet. The lagging indicators down. I mean, we had a high of nearly, what, 799 deaths a day in New York. It's now at uh, the last two days for the first time since April 1st, below 500. Um, still a lot of people, but at least... We're going in the right direction. Hospitalizations now are down dramatically. Intubations down dramatically. The Cuomo apparently meeting with the president uh, at the White House today. The corona death rate now is at the lowest in two weeks uh, across the U.S. Johns Hopkins reporting 1,433 people died from the virus in 24 hours ending on April 20th. Today being the 21st. Uh, the death toll now at 42,000 comes after uh, after more than 4,500 people died from COVID-19 in a single 24-hour period last week. But again, we're looking at trend lines. It's kind of hard to talk about trends when you're talking about real people and real families and real death. Um, we know that a number of new coronavirus cases declined in New York and New Jersey, and Massachusetts has become the latest hotspot. We're keeping an eye on that. I'm not sure why at this point. Rhode Island got hit particularly hard because it kind of sits there between Boston and New York. Not exactly geographically the best place to, to be. 
uh, Joe Biden, you know, uh, it's funny to see Joe Biden puts out an ad against Trump about China because his own son travels on Air Force Two in this trip to Asia, including China, and two weeks later gets a billion-dollar deal from the Bank of China, and we don't have any record of any experience uh, in any of, you know, I don't know why they wouldn't go to Goldman Sachs or any of the big banks in America uh, to do this deal. Why'd they go to Joe Biden's son? Zero experience hunter. Uh, anyway, he, you know, since December 2019, the, the Chinese government has actively concealed the severity of this coronavirus. Biden embraced as with Iran a very dovish approach on the campaign trail. You know, he dismissed the notion that the U.S. should be worried about China. They're not competition for us, he said. Really? China's going to eat our lunch? Come on, man. That's Joe said that. Joe's not had a particularly good day for himself either, but I can get to that in a second. Joe's Joe's struggling. Poor Joe. Joe Biden has a lot of issues these days. And so science matters. And all Dale's been saying, Governor Wolf, is listen to the scientists. Supply of those N95 masks, excuse me, 96 masks. Should the country start to reopen by May 1st, what do you say to counties that have zero to no cases? Should they be allowed to reopen? Look, if you take a look at Milwaukee and look at your counties, look at Wisconsin generally, Milwaukee, less than the hospitals in Milwaukee have less than a week's supply that they need. The hospitals have less than a week's supply of goggles and face masks and swabs and shields. And hospitals, one third of them have less than a week's supply of those N95 masks, excuse me, 96 masks. The authority in the Defense Production Act to be able to go just like he did with General Motors and say build ventilators. He has the same thing, authority to say in order. Everybody says, look, there's three things that have to happen. Testing, tracking and treatment. This this nominating process By the way, he's is reading all this because most of the, of the time. But, you know, uh, so in the course of one day, Joe Biden bizarrely confused the Pennsylvania governor, Tom Wolf, with Dale Wolf, who was the governor of Delaware back in 93. He incorrectly said about N95 masks, called them N96 masks. Now, it wouldn't matter if it was, you know, somebody that had their act together. But with Joe, it's like, okay, you just know it's part of this pattern. He completely ignored a question about reopening Wisconsin economy and then just, you know, reads unrelated talking points located above the camera. And you can tell he's doing it. Changing his thoughts completely mid-sentence, looking down at his notes, bumbling and fumbling about testing, tracking, and treatment. It's it's all written out in front of him. And on top of it, he confused Labor Day with Memorial Day. Great job, Joe. Now he's attacking the president. He's been missing in action. I mean, what does this guy do every day? You know, the um, I will tell you, it's these are unbelievable times we live in. And the mob and the media, there's nothing Donald Trump can do that is ever going to be right for them. And... You know, doesn't the lies of Joe Biden? It's all going to come. We're all going to get to this. All right, let's get to the phones here real quick. Uh, Let's say hi to Ashley San Diego. What's up, Ashley? How are you? Hi, hi. Um, I just want to thank you for your show for waking me up because I feel like I've been brainwashed by the media the last ten years or so, and I think I think stuff's going to come out that is going to shock everyone. Honestly. And I just noticed that, like, MSN and CNN, they report the exact opposite 
of what Trump says in his live briefings or he or they um, exaggerate it. I started watching his live briefings and then I would go back to CNN and MSN and my mind was blowing. Like, I love Trump now. <laughs> this whole thing is like really showed me what is going on. Well, once you see media bias, once you sort of open your eyes to it, isn't it funny how like it just is, it's like, how did I not see this before? It is that yeah, profound. Yeah, I had like multiple epiphanies. <laughs> Yeah, well, st- I gotta, I, I gotta put you on hold, Ashley. Thanks for a great call. I wish you the best out in San Diego. I uh, wish I was out there with you, actually. Uh, the president's task force is beginning, and for stations along the Sean Hannity Show network, we'll take this to the end. Well, thank you very much, everyone. Had a very big day today. I want to uh, start by saying that our love and prayers of every American continue. To be with our fellow citizens who have lost a cherished friend or family member to the virus. Amidst our grief, we're making tremendous strides against this invisible enemy. Thanks to our aggressive campaign against the virus and the extraordinary talent of our medical professionals, our mortality rate remains roughly half of that of many other countries and uh, one of the lowest of any country in the world. And uh, that's uh, due to a lot of a lot of things, but our medical professionals have been incredible. Since we announced our guidelines on opening up America, as we call it, we say opening up America, and we add the word again. I, I think we can add the word probably again, but uh, that's what it is. We're opening up America again. Twenty states representing 40 percent of the U.S. population have announced that they are making plans and preparations to safely restart their economies in the very near future. So that's uh, 20 states. It's about 40 percent of our country. They're moving along pretty quickly. Three announced today, as you know. And uh, they're going to be doing it safely. They're going to be doing it uh, with tremendous passion. There's uh, they want to get back to work. The country wants to get back to work. A short time ago, the Senate passed the Paycheck Protection Program and Healthcare Enhancement Act with additional funding for the Paycheck Protection Program, hospitals, and testing. A lot of money for all of them, especially for our workers and our small businesses. My administration has worked aggressively with Congress to negotiate this critical $482 billion funding package. We reached a deal that includes $382 billion in crucial small business support to keep workers on the payroll, $75 billion to aid hospitals, which really need the aid, and very badly, very proud of that, and $25 billion to support coronavirus testing efforts. I urge the House to pass the bill, and they're going to be voting on it, I imagine, very, very soon. Uh, I think while we're here, and so he's a very busy man, as you know, Secretary Mnuchin, he's going to be running back. So I thought we'd do, uh, we'll talk about that now, and we'll take a couple of questions on that, and then he can go and start phase four as the ink is drying. Probably they'll be voting tomorrow in the House, but uh, shortly, shortly. And I think we have tremendous support. So, uh, Steve, please come up, say a few words. Steve? Yeah. 
Thank you, Mr. President, and uh, thank you for all your work with us to get this passed. I'd especially like to thank Mitch McConnell and Chuck Schumer and the entire Senate for passing this. Uh, I'd also like to thank Kevin McCarthy and Nancy Pelosi, who have been working with us round the clock as well, and uh, our Chief of Staff, Mark Meadows, who was also very instrumental in this. Uh, let me just comment. Uh, we've had tremendous support for the PPP. This gives us another $310 billion for the PPP. We look forward to the House passing this tomorrow and being up and running quickly after that. This also gives us $50 billion for disaster loans, idle loans, that will allow the SBA to make $300 billion of disaster loans, all for small businesses. Uh, also allows us, as the President said, more money to hospitals and unprecedented amount of money for testing. And, and again, I think we understand hospitals, not only the hospitals that have been impacted by coronavirus, but more importantly, many hospitals that have been shut down and making sure that the doctors and, and nurses get money. Now, let me make uh, just one more comment on the program. We have over a million companies that have received this with less than 10 workers. So uh, there is very broad participation in, in really small business. I will comment there have been some big businesses that have taken these loans. Uh, I was pleased to see that Shake Shack returned the money. We will be putting out some FAQs. Uh, there is a certification that people are making. And uh, I ask people, just make sure the intent of this was for business that needed the money. We'll put out an FAQ. But again, the intent of this money was not for big public companies that have access to capital. And not for Harvard, so, you might say. So, so Mr. Secretary, are you going to request that those other companies, because obviously Shake Shack was not alone in being a big company that, 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 that got money in this. Are you going to be I'm asking? Gonna request. You're going to ask them to, to return that money? Yep. Yeah, I would know. Harvard's going to pay back the money, and uh, they shouldn't be taking it. So Harvard's going to. Uh, you have a number of, I'm not going to mention any other names, but when I saw Harvard, they have a one of the largest endowments anywhere in the, the country, maybe in the world, I guess, and uh, they're going to pay back that money. And, and I just, I just want to clarify, because uh, certain people on the PPP may have not been clear in understanding the certification. So we will give people the benefit of the doubt. We're going to put an FAQ out, explain the certification. If you pay back the loan right away, you won't have liability to the SBA and to Treasury. But there are severe consequences uh, for people who don't uh, test properly this certification. And again, we want to make sure this money is available to small businesses that need it, people who have invested their entire life savings. Uh, we appreciate what's going on in, in their hiring people back. And how are you going to ensure that those small businesses, those small restaurants, cafes, bars, who did not get the money uh, last time around are going to get it this time? Well, as I said, you know, there are a million, uh, a million of these companies that did get it that are very small. We're working with the banks. We're extremely pleased that uh, the small banks did great. 20% of the loans were made by banks of a billion and less, 60% by by uh, 20 billion and less, and the, the big banks also. We want everybody to participate. There's now a lot of money back in the program, and we look forward to all these small businesses getting access to funds. Brett, it's great to see you here. Thank you, Mr. Secretary. And you know, estimate how long this is going to take. That other pot of money obviously went quickly. Do you assume this is going to go quickly as well? 
Well, let me just say, I mean, you know, kind of we're pleased with the success of this program and how quickly this got up operationally. We've we've put out more money in these SBA loans than in the last 10 years of, of SBA. So I want to thank all the banks that have worked really hard. We knew that uh, when we passed this originally, if there was full takeout, we wouldn't have enough money. That's why we've worked with Congress for more money. And this is going to, you know, we've already impacted about 30 million workers. Uh, there'll, be, there'll be a lot more. So we look forward to this having a big impact on the economy. Uh, yesterday, the president said he would look into the issue of felons, those with criminal convictions, uh, getting access to some of these, these programs. I'm wondering if you have an update on that. Sure. So we, we worked with the White House on this. There, there were actually much more onerous restrictions in the SBA program. Uh, there were people who had misdemeanors that, that weren't allowed to access the program. It was much longer than five years. And, you know, we very much, because of the criminal reform legislation that was passed and the work that's been done in the White House by Jared and others, we specifically designed the program, and the five years was significantly shorter than what had been done before. So we had already taken that into account. For, 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 for now, we're not going to do that. But I want to just emphasize, we did take this into account. There were a lot of people that wouldn't have access previously, and we changed those regulations. The president talked about a phase four. Um, I know we, we all understand the circumstances and why businesses need this, but how many more phases can we afford to have, or can businesses expect? to have. Uh, do you see a phase five, a phase six, a phase seven? Uh, what's your thinking on this? Well, first of all, I very much appreciate the president's support for phase four. He put out a tweet. As the president said, we would look forward to phase four would be infrastructure. The president's been talking about infrastructure since the campaign. Roads, bridges, broadband, especially broadband now to rural America is, is very important. Uh, we've talked about incentives for restaurants, sports, entertainment, because these businesses have been impacted. The president has talked multiple times about a payroll tax cut. And we've also, uh, we're talking about, in the case of states, the state's We've heard from the governors and the fiscal issues of the states. I, I think phase four will most likely be what, what we need. Uh, I, I think based upon what we're seeing and the reopening of the economy and the amount of money we're putting in and working with the Federal Reserve on 13-3, I, I think you're going to see a lot of liquidity, and we look forward to business rebounding, especially later this summer. Just real quick to follow up, and the PPP program, is this the last tranche of money you think you're going to need for small businesses? We, we would expect that.